inevitably asking, what am I doing here? Whose idea was this for me to sign up for this retreat, five days of silence? It's really a part of this practice to be to be clear and aligned with your intention, in touch with your intention. So, as I was preparing for the talk, for sharing these reflections with you, I was looking over the questionnaires that you all filled out for this retreat. And, and I jotted down some reasons why we are here, you are here. I won't be doing justice to everybody's reasons, but just a handful of reasons. Slowing down and see if you can identify with other people's reasons also, if it's not your own. Slowing down to learn more about myself, to deepen practice. There are multiple people who wanted to deepen their practice. That was their intention for being here. To live more mindfully, to just be to cultivate joy, acceptance, and compassion for others and myself. To calm my mind and body. Curiosity. Stress reduction. Develop a daily practice. balance, space to slow down and reflect, to better manage chronic pain, self-metta. We all come here for so many reasons, so many reasons. Any reason that brings us here and brings us to the path of practice for growth, for being aligned with, with our highest intention in this life is a good reason for being here. We all bring our stuff to the retreat. We all bring our stuff as if packed with suitcases. We bring all of our stuff to the retreat and and as I was talking about this metaphor of soaking, we soak on the retreat, dear, we soak in the Dharma and our minds and bodies start to, to relax and soften. There's a poem I want to share with you. It's called Zazen and it's by Virginia Hamilton Adair. She goes to a Zen monastery the same way that you came here. This is your monastery. And she talks about this process. I love this poem. So here we go. When I first floundered in, no one knew me, not even myself. Staggering under a Saratoga trunk, trunk here is like a suitcase, British. Staggering under a Saratoga trunk, crammed with humiliations, bottled like urine samples, nail kegs of anger, carbons of abusive letters, chemistry quizzes with Fs, even the horse I never had, and the two casseroles left over from, a, from the dime-a-dip supper. No one remar remarked that I had brought too much. I was wearing three fur hats donated by opulent cousins, my feet encased in cement ever since the failure of the patio project, and my mouth full of barbs as an old trout. 
No one praised me on my appearance. The trunk fell off my back, disgorging its unusual contents. At stone, at my, my stone feet, which also came off. I read it again. The trunk fell off my back, disgorging its unusual contents at my stone feet, which also came off. The fur hats tumble like a moth-eaten avalanche, burying a small monk. No one noticed. My sweat began to dry. My sweat began to dry. I folded myself into one piece. No one. This is what happens when we come on retreat. We bring all of our stuff, all these suitcases filled with stuff with its unusual contents and slowly things get opened up, suitcases get opened up. Our cemented feet become free. It takes time, it takes time, especially after the first day. It may seem far away, but it does happen your sweat will begin to dry. As we continue to practice, we start to notice that we get lighter, we get freer. Slowly, little by little, it's possible. As we come Many of us come to practice because of dukkha. Dukkha might be a familiar name to, to some of you, and for those who, who isn't, uh, who aren't familiar with, uh, with the term dukkha, it's often translated to suffering, also to unsatisfactoriness, unreliability, just that stress that's present in daily life. I mean, the word dukkha can cover such a range it can cover the, the, the big losses and misfortunes, losses, illnesses, um, the big things that happen in our life. It covers that, but it also covers just the daily stresses in our lives. When, when somebody cuts us off in, in, you know, in, in traffic or when, when, there's tra when there's a lot of traffic, and we're, we want to get somewhere, we're going to be late. You know, that's dukkha, it's stress. It's unsatisfactoriness. Things are not going exactly as we want them to be, right? There's traffic, the roads aren't clear. So there's, there is dukkha there. Or when we have some pain in the body, uh, when you're sitting, as you've been probably experiencing already when you sit, there will be some dukkha in your body. There will be some pain. It's, so that's dukkha. It's, it's 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 a little it's pain it's it's not satisfactory it's it's it has a flavor of of uh, of suffering it's also translated as unreliability that things are unreliable in this world they just they are unreliable just by definition i know that for myself as a child growing up um and i grew up in tehran iran i was 16 when i moved to the us so as a child growing up, and, and I've seen that in other children, how parents protect children and they try to not tell children about the suffering and about the difficulty, that's the fabric of life. And, and children grow up, and I grew up with the sense that, you know, fairy tales, happily ever after, I'll do everything right, you know, I'll study and I'll be a good girl and I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll live happily ever after, just like in, in the movies, in the Disney movies, right? Everything is happy, everything is great, but I think we're all old enough to know life doesn't exactly work out that way. And, and when there are losses, for me, when there was a loss, um, I, I lost someone that I loved dearly when I was in my 20s and and it completely stopped me in my tracks. Bad things happening to good people. How can that be? What kind of a world is this that bad things can happen? I did everything right. Why? Why me? Why us? Why? 
I didn't know about dukkha. I didn't know about dukkha being just a fabric of life. It loss is a part of life. Sadness. It's it's they're all part of life. And for me really it was a maturing of 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 maturing of my relationship to life to and also my my maturing of my relationship to um to the universe, not expecting that if I do everything right, whatever that right is, nothing bad <coughs> is supposed to happen. <coughs> so in maturing that things do happen, it's dukkha, change, change is a part of life. It's just a part of life. It's not that that I've done something wrong or you've done something wrong. It's, <coughs> it's of course, it's an the f- the f- the first reaction of an untrained mind is to train is to point the finger when something bad happens, to blame ourselves. I shouldn't have done this. I I um, <coughs> if if I had only done this or if I had only not done this, then everything would have been okay. Or if this other person, or if this other beings, this institute, if they had done that, or hadn't done that, then everything would have been okay. Um, Not to say that there aren't wise actions (coughs) and unwise actions in the world that both we do and don't do, and others do and don't do. But difficulty, dukkha, cannot be avoided in, in the world. It cannot be avoided. It's a part of fabric of life. And part of accepting that it is part of life is part of wisdom. Acceptance is an integral part of wisdom. I'd like to say a little more about that. So, I was surprised to learn that there is such a thing as wisdom research as a field in psychology. It's kind of interesting, right? Because in in the uh, in the wisdom traditions, Buddhism and other religions, we think we have the we we, we have we have wisdom. Um, but it's interesting that science has been studying it also. So there was an interesting article in uh, the New York Times, uh, March of last year, and was basically reporting on what the researchers have found about the science of, of wisdom. And um, I'd like to read something out of that article for you. So, Isabel Esbrick, a psychotherapist who at 81 still practices part-time out of her home in Connecticut, um, says, that one impediment to wisdom is thinking, in quote, I can't stand who I am because I'm not who I used to be. She says she has aging clients who are upset by perceived worsening of their looks, their sexual performance, their physical abilities, their memory. For them, as for herself, an acceptance of aging is necessary for growth. But it's not a resigned acceptance, it's an embracing acceptance, she said. And she's hit it right on the, the, the head, the nail on the head. When we talk about acceptance, it's not a resigned acceptance. It's an embracing acceptance. It's not a, oh, just, you know, I'm a wet noodle, you can just walk over me, you know. It's, it's not that, that resignation, it's, it doesn't come with the the depressive sadness of just completely it, it's not that kind of acceptance it's an acceptance of um, of embracing so there is a power there is a powerfulness there is there is there's empowerment in the acceptance of things as they are which really is 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 a place of of power and wisdom similarly from that article Professor Ardelt says, wise people, are, wise people are able to accept reality as it is with equanimity. 
the word equanimity is something that you hear a lot in in this practice, in the Theravada circles and in Buddhist practice. Um, what is equanimity? So developing equanimity or equipoise is is the ability to be with conditions as they are without being pushed around by the highs and the lows. So it allows us to be with the conditions of the world without being pushed and pulled by the external conditions one way or the other, but having the sense of centeredness as if we're a well-rooted tree or a well-rooted we're sitting on a rock, and just this feeling of stability um, that we can be with whatever is, just holding, it's holding, it's this sense of acceptance. I feel it physically in my own practice. For me, equanimity is this sense of stability and an openness, accepting whatever comes in an, an embracing way. I, I can be with this too this too, I can be with this too. It's actually a mantra, it's a little, I mean, I use mantra as, as a reminder, not as something to keep, keep repeating all the time, but just dropping it in now and then when there is difficulty. This too, I can be with this too. And acceptance and equanimity aren't things that we can muscle through. This practice is not something that we can muscle through and say, oh, I'm going to be equanimous, whatever it takes. You know, it's just kind of an oxymoron, right? Or I'm going to accept this if it's going to kill me. I'm going to... It doesn't work that way. The way it works is softening into it, relaxing into it, relaxing into acceptance, into this stance of embracing. It's not a doing. You don't actively accept, like, I have to accept this. It's more of a... Ah, can I be with this? Can I be with this in this moment? Not thinking about future or the past, but can I be with this right now? With how, whatever this is in this moment, can I be with this? And then asking and then checking in with yourself. Can I be with this? And oftentimes, when you do check in with yourself, can I be with this right now, in this moment, the answer turns out to be yes. Usually it turns out to be yes. And if it's no, then there are ways to work with that also, to giving it space, to giving it a wide pasture for this whatever it is to be, the wider pasture. And also titration is another wise way that we can work with it. If, if it's so overwhelming that in this moment you cannot be with it, it's just so overwhelming and hard to be with, then it is wise to titrate and allow the mind to um, to to not be with it and wisely be with something else, something that is is easy and comfortable, either in the body or in the mind to be with. So so with 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 this embracing acceptance um, as a part of wisdom, as an aspect of wisdom, again, approaching it with a stance of curiosity, can I be with this in this moment? Can I be with this? with gentleness, with as much gentleness as you can muster. Can I hold this? Can I be with this? Is this okay right now? Is this okay? So another aspect of wisdom is self-insight and self-awareness, which is what we're working here on this retreat to develop. We're silencing, we're quieting our mind, letting go of distractions, and being with, just being with, being with, observing our mind, observing what happens developing this self-awareness, which is much harder to develop in the world because there are a million and one distractions, especially nowadays with technology. 
every moment can be filled. For example, if you go to the doctor's office, the old days you could sit perhaps, or rest, maybe you know, look at a magazine, but now, oh, pulling out the your smartphone if you have one, and just uh, uh, riding riding the bus, riding um, public transport. I was on I ride public transport a lot. I live in San Francisco. And it's so interesting to notice every single person is is they're deep in you know they're texting or reading or doing nobody sitting and just looking out the window anymore. So, so here you come on this retreat to develop that sense of self awareness, the awareness that is usually taken by everything else in the world, and you, and you give yourself this amazing, amazing, precious gift of of self-awareness, turning your gaze inward, inside. And also, it's not just the precious gift that you give yourself. This is the work that you're doing for everyone in your circle and three circles out. So, you, you I'll, I'll give you a personal anecdote actually. So, um, One of the nicest things my my sister ever told me was, um, I mean, uh, was that whenever I went on retreat, she felt better. <laughs> so, and this is from you know my background is in, from Iran and, and and Muslim background. So you know after a while, my family became completely embracing and accepting of me disappearing into uh, week long two-week-long, month-long, three-month-long meditation retreats because they just saw that not only I was happier and more free when I came back, but somehow, in some unexplainable way, they were happier too, they said. Great! So, <laughs> go on retreat. We get happier. So, um, so, so, to say that you don't do this work just for yourself, but you do it for people in around you, people you love, people you care about, even people you don't care about necessarily, at your workplace, if there are people you have a difficult relationship with. This practice transforms your relationship with, with everyone slowly, slowly, slowly. And not just one circle out, but actually three circles out. One of my favorite pieces of research I like to quote is um, from a longitudinal study that was done at, um, oh, I confuse it now, uh, it's, it was at Harvard, I believe, or was it Princeton or Harvard? Okay, don't quote me. It was either of those two schools. Anyway, it's a longitudinal study about the effects of, of, um, of happiness, how, uh, and, and what they observed was when one person became happier, three circles out of people that they were connected to, they, th this person's happiness somehow reverberated through three circles out. Isn't that cool? That is pretty amazing. So you're, this, you're practicing here this, this five days, not just for yourself, but three circles out. If, if at any point the going gets tough, remember, remember that. You're doing this for what we like to say, all beings. All beings. So you're here developing insight, self-awareness, both for your own benefit and for the benefit of what I like to say, all beings. Well, not just I, but in the tradition, for the benefit of all beings. And, and it's interesting because especially for those who are new to the practice, we might have an idea of, oh, I'll go on retreat and it'll be silent and it'll be great and I'll drop into calmness and, and ease and freedom and you come and it's not what you expect, right? All these thoughts, the monkey mind shows up and it's just dancing about, ha, 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 donkey monkey. Anybody experience monkey mind today? Anyone? Show of hands, please. Anyone experience it? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> of course. Everybody experiences it. It's, it's not just you. It's part, of it's part of what our minds do. So we get to see, we get to 
befriend our mind. We get to have this kind, friendly attitude. We develop, we cultivate a kind, friendly attitude to whatever comes up in this mind because of the causes and conditions that this mind has been subject to. Um, it likes to think a lot. It likes to be distracted a lot. Um, you, you see perhaps a lot of self-judgment coming up. Um, you see judgment about other people coming up. Um, you, you see doubt coming up. Oh, I can't do this. I, this is not for me. I can't do this. It's so hard. I can't get my mind focused. This is so hard. I you, you, see, you see those doubt, the, the doubting thoughts coming up. Um, you see anxiety coming up. You see more doubt coming up. You see unworthiness coming up. You see sadness coming up. You see joy coming up. You see, you see everything coming up that you didn't expect. And of course, that's part of practice. It's all part of this practice. So this practice is not about completely silencing and quieting the mind and blanking everything out and being in a blank space with no thoughts and nothing. Okay, that's a misconception, a misconception about this practice. This practice is not about that. Okay, what it is about is stabilizing the mind, having a sense of calm and stability, that there is enough stability and calm in the mind that is not going everywhere and you can be with whatever arises in the moment. You can embrace whatever arises in the moment with equanimity. So again, it's not about having blanking out everything and throwing everything away and, and under the carpet. That's more like repression. It doesn't really help. It doesn't really work. But it is about building enough stability in the mind that you can be with everything that arises. And that's how the progression of the the retreat will go and the progression of the the um, um, instructions, morning instructions. So for example, this morning Richard gave instructions about stabilizing the mind with, with your anchor to breath or whatever else works for you better than the breath. But I'm just going to use the breath for now as shorthand. So coming back <coughs> to the breath, and last night I was saying if thoughts come up, you know, you might say, not now, just come back to the breath, come back to the breath, come back to the breath. Why do we do that at the beginning of the retreat? There is a reason for it. At the beginning of the retreat, shall let that pass. And actually, let's take a moment to just wish whoever is in trouble, may they be well. Somebody's in trouble right now. So, I was saying that the progression of the, the instructions, the reason why at the beginning of the retreat, we do encourage you to keep coming back to the breath is to build that place of stability, is to build that place where your mind is actually calmer, calmer. And as the retreat continues, as your mind becomes calmer, then you can be, then you can open up to whatever arises in the moment and be with it with, with more spaciousness and more equanimity. And that's where, that's the arc of this practice. That's where this, the mindfulness practice goes. The, the, if you only practice being with the breath, that would be a concentration practice where you would be excluding everything else and you would just say, not now, not now. You would always come back to breath and you would do that every day, all day. You would just do that. But we do that at the beginning just to stabilize the mind, stabilize the attention, to have a sense of stability and spaciousness so that ah, you can be with whatever arises. Because being human, things arise. You can't, you can't stop the waves in the ocean of your life. What you can do is to learn how to surf better and how to enjoy surfing.
and not to be toppled over. The waves will come. They will continue to come because we're living this human life. It's just part of this life. The, the 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows, it's all a part of it. So one thing that you might already notice today is also um, what we call the swamps in the first day, the swamps, sleepiness of the swamps. Anyone experience sleepiness today? Yeah, the swamps, of course. Yeah, it, don't beat yourself up. It's part of the practice. Um, so they tend the sleepiness tends to show up a lot more on the first day because for a couple of, well, for many reasons, a couple of which are, um, we often come from, from a busy life with sleep debt, with a lot of sleep debt, even if we don't acknowledge it or realize it and we think we're getting enough sleep. But then we come and the mind quiets down and settles and becomes calm. Well, a calm and calm mind is very close and it's in the same neighborhood of sleepiness. So if you have sleep debt, whoop, the mind goes to pay the sleep debt. So that's what happens. You get sleepy. It's just, it's just conditions. It happens. As the retreat continues, you'll notice that you'll be less sleepy. And there will also be ways to work with sleepiness, um, which Actually, I was going to talk about the hindrances specifically. So maybe, okay, tell you what, this was the preview. So I'll talk about sleepiness a little later. Just to keep your interest so that you stay awake till the end of the talk. <laughs> How to deal with sleepiness. <laughs> it's a tautology kind of recurrence. But anyway. Um, Another aspect of wisdom is knowing what causes suffering and what brings about happiness and how to cultivate and arise the conditions that, that bring one and not the other. So in the process of becoming familiar with the patterns of our mind, as, as you're practicing here, you'll start to notice, you start to notice your, your top 10 tunes, which is what Richard was referring to, I think earlier this morning, the, the top 10. And, and you can see that with the habit of noting, especially if you're noting your thoughts. Oh, judgment, planning, oh, self-judgment, oh, sleepiness, oh, uh, worry, sadness, you start to see what things continue to recur over and over and over again. What are the patterns of your mind? Um, when I was very new in my practice, I discovered I was a huge planner. Every other thought was a planning thought. Just that was number one on my top, top 10 list. Um, just these pl big planning thoughts and, and took a while for me actually to, to I mean, uh, to see what was underneath it for me. And, and there's so many things that could be under, under various patterns that keep recurring and coming up. And for me, I saw after a while, what revealed itself was wanting, wanting safety and control. Because if I planned for everything that could possibly happen in the future, then I would know exactly how to act. And I wouldn't be surprised and there would be safety, and I would be okay if I planned for every possibility. Okay, guess, just guess how many of those plans actually I had to implement in the future. Very, very small percentage. If you're a planner, you know that you keep planning and planning and planning and for every potential possibility in the world. And, and well, actually, when the real situation comes up, 
you'll probably behave very differently because you have much more information and you're in the moment and and all that planning that you did oh i'm going to say this if that person says that if this happens i'm going to do this and just throw it out the window so if you're a planner welcome to the club and um and yeah just see what 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 are your top 10 tunes what what is the pattern of your mind and as you go about practice in the next few days and and noticing what's coming up what's coming up what's coming up um having a sense of curiosity having a sense of curiosity about what is the top 10 list for me what is it and the intention is not to squelch it not to not to judge yourself oh there is that planning thought again darn it i thought i'd put a stop to that okay that's not practice simply noticing simply recognizing and simply that just by recognizing these patterns start to lose their power and they start to reveal themselves to you what's underneath them if it will be helpful for you to see what's underneath them they will reveal so for me planning has softened so much especially meditation because i can see where it's coming from and when it's coming from when it comes up again i can have a lot more humor about it oh here here it is again that old flan, friend planning again hi planning hi i see you i bow to you thank you but not now thank you so develop a, sen- a friendliness a, a sense of humor with your patterns of thoughts with with your top 10 list that comes up in your mind a part of wisdom is also emotional self-regulation what's called in psych in psych- psychological terms emotional self-regulation mo- mouthful but it's basically knowing it's it's that it's when this sense of um, self-knowledge comes together with the knowledge how to regulate your your inner landscape so first you need to know what is going on inside you you need to know you need to be in touch enough with your body and with your mind to recognize what is happening what is arising oh i'm sad right now that's what's happening oh sadness is like this or oh i'm angry right now that's the really the very first step because sometimes we can be in a state of mind and having an emotion without knowing that we have it and we just go around the world and maybe we have we're angry and we don't even realize and we're tossing things and we're upset and we're kicking things and like it's like whoa wait a minute what's going on oh i'm angry oh what is this about what am i angry about um it's so interesting when that happens um i remember now and then it happens for me when kind of not feel myself and and there's just a feeling of something is out of order and i have to kind of check in okay what's going on oh i'm not feeling well oh it's sadness that's what it is oh it's sadness then i can be with it then i know how to respond to it because if i don't recognize it if i don't even have a label for it i wouldn't know how to work with it but if i know it's sadness oh i'm sad oh what's happened oh yeah I'm I'm sad about what happened with with mom last night. Oh yeah, that's what's still happening. Then I can have compassion instead of well, I'm in the state of mind and it's just difficult. I don't even know what it is. So ha- having this this emotional clarity, having this awareness and labeling, labeling your experience allows you to both be better in touch with it and also know how to work with it to to know which direction to go are you angry okay well maybe this is a time to to practice metta practice loving kindness for yourself or for the other that per- uh, the other person the person you're angry with in order to help with your anger oh if it's sadness maybe it's time to have self-compassion for yourself you're going through something really difficult and hold yourself with compassion etc etc so allows that emotional self-regulation um to to come in and 
And also, this, as we continue to practice this sense of, of equanimity and sense of being grounded, um, can allow us to not be triggered in situations we used to be triggered in the past. And that's another way, both recognizing that, oh, I'm triggered, but having the stability uh, and the steadiness to behave differently in that situation, to have that, that in-between moment from noticing that, oh, this, this is something that would trigger me or that I'm triggered, but I don't have to act out of it. Um, a friend of mine recently told me a great story that where a particular interpersonal situation in her life would would make her stew, just get her really triggle, triggered and she would be angry and she would be stewing and then she would be thinking about how to get back and 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 after a lot of a lot of awareness around that particular interpersonal situation that comes up with this particular person um, now she says when it comes up she recognizes it ah it's coming up but there isn't that sense of being triggered anymore but she still so she speaks up and says wait 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 a minute I just want to point out this is what's happening right now so have a conversation with the other person without being triggered or angry and stewing for days and what just happened but so still writing something that is wrong speaking up about it but without this air without this energy without this tightness that often happens when we're triggered another aspect of wisdom is actually kindness and compassion and this is something that richard will be talking a lot more about tomorrow in his talk um, just one thing that I wanted to quote from this article in the New York Times um, by, by another professor, Ardelt, who's a researcher. She says, wisdom is characterized by a reduction in self-centeredness. Wise people try to understand situations from multiple perspectives, not just their own, and they show tolerance as a result. There is evidence that people who rank high in neuroticism are unlikely to be wise. They see things in a self-centered and negative way, and so they fail to benefit emotionally from experience, even though they may be very intelligent, says Laura Cartenson, who is a researcher on wisdom at Stanford, so that I give her proper credit. Um, so that's that sense of kindness, that lack of self-centeredness, that extending of one's heart, both to oneself and, and to others, is really an aspect of wisdom. And I'll leave it at that, which will be discussed a lot more tomorrow. So... Another aspect of wisdom is also work mindfully working with difficulties that come up as we practice on this path. And there are some specific difficulties that arise, especially when you're doing um, sitting and walking practice. And they are known as the Fab Five. Just kidding. They're known uh, as the five hindrances. There is a five in there, but it's not the Fab. It's the five hindrances. So I just wanted to briefly touch on them as because you've probably noticed them already. And if you haven't noticed them, you probably will notice them. They will come up. One thing to keep in mind is that the hindrances, even though the name that they have that the, they have a bad rap, you know, hindrances like foreboding hindrances. They actually can be your friend in this practice. You can learn a lot about yourself and about practice <coughs> by working with them mindfully. So instead of them hindering you, they can actually you can learn so much 
by working with them. So making them an object of your meditation instead of trying to get rid of them. So working with them mindfully. And there are a lot of different ways to work with them. So the first one is, and I'll, I'll touch on these very briefly, um, one is wanting, sensual desire, or just wanting. And um, it's basically the, the, the mind wanting something, wanting so bad, wanting things to be different, wanting, not, uh, wanting and not wanting, actually. So the first one is wanting, the second one is not wanting. The second one can also be aversion or anger or ill will could be the second hindrance that comes up in the mind. But in terms of the wanting and the sensual desire, it's um, it's notice that a lot of times it's not so much about the object out, outside that you want, but it's really about feeling of desiring, this desiring in the mind. And that can be so interesting to see. It's not so much about the object outside, it's about the mind. So one thing that sometimes happens on retreats, and it's not uncommon, it's what co what's called Vipassana romance, where people start to develop a, a romance in their head with someone, and they're, they've built a life, and you know, they, they're dating them, and they have children, and maybe they even divorce, and you know, they just, it's all in the mind, right? So, so it's so interesting. If, so it's, it's not so much in it about that person, which you don't even know. I mean, you don't even know if they like the same flavor of ice cream as you do, the important things. But, I mean, but seriously speaking, um, it's not so much about the object, out, the person outside or whatever object is external, it's about this, the wanting in the mind. So it can be so um, important, so, so um, you, you can learn a huge lesson if you actually see that desiring, if you turn the mind back on itself and you see that desiring in the mind. Again, not to squelch it, not to like, I'm a bad person, I'm desiring, but just to see that, wow, look at that, what a force in the mind. Wow, with curiosity, with kindness, with acceptance, seeing whatever your mind has. The, the second hindrance, which is the opposite of the first one, um, ill will or aversion, if a lot of anger, the case of anger coming up, um, one way to work with it, as I already talked about, is loving kindness, loving kindness for yourself and loving kindness with the person you're having difficulty with. And it's also really helpful to think of their good qualities. Don't ruminate about their bad qualities. Really, really try to to think about their good qualities their their perhaps their father their mother their their sister their you know their their friend to someone see them from that perspective and wish them well from that perspective and see and because you're doing it for your own mind you're doing this loving kindness really for the ease and calm and freedom of your own heart and mind so you're doing it for yourself If restlessness and worry come up, and actually there's, there's sloth and torpor, which is the sleepiness, which many of you have already experienced today, and then there is restlessness and worry, which is the, the opposite. So with the case of sleepiness, a um, lot of ways to work with the sleepiness. One is um, standing meditation. So whenever in the hall you feel sleepy, you're welcome to stand up right where you are. You don't have to move to the back, right where you are. And bring the energy up and do standing meditation. And also you can open your eyes and do eyes open meditation. You can, you can do more walking meditation. That will bring the energy up. Um, in the suttas, it's also talked about drinking a green tea, I believe, um, as, as a way to bring bring energy up. Um, another way to work with it is also, which is one of my favorite ways to work with it, is to have curiosity about the state of being sleepy. So making sleepiness an object of your meditation. 
What does it feel like? Like really bringing it forward. What is it like to be sleepy in the mind? What is it like to be sleepy in the body? What are the thoughts that arise just before you fall asleep and let yourself fall asleep for just a second? You'll be refreshed and you'll wake up. But if you're fighting it all the time, it's it's painful. So n- realizing mindfully how to actually really observe the energy of sleepiness in the mind, it can be so interesting. And noticing the moment that you fall asleep and letting yourself be rested just for a minute or two and then wake up refreshed and your mind will be bright and clear. And this is appeals to you. You, uh, you can ask us and we can talk to you more about working with that. Restless and restlessness and worry, if that comes up, um, increasing the calmness and stability sometimes helps with that. And sometimes giving your mind a wider pasture, if there's a lot of restlessness, listening to sounds, opening your attention wider um, so that so that this feeling is not building up, but just like giving the mind a wider passion instead of making it tighter. And the last one is doubt. I can't do this. Why am I here? Do these teachers know what they're talking about? Or just doubt. Is this the right thing for me? Should I walk? Should I sit? Should I take a nap? Just all doubts in all different ways. So one way to work with doubt is is through investigation really investigating really turning doubt um and and not believing doubt itself but but investigating the doubtful mind oh the doubtful mind is coming up the doubtful mind is coming up and not necessarily believing all the thoughts that are being produced by the doubtful mind so working skillfully with wisdom, with all these hindrances that will come up as part of the practice, part of being human, can be a way to also build wisdom, cultivate wisdom um, on this practice. So I hope that these reflections have been of some use for your practice. Let's just sit together for a minute. 